Welcome back, everybody, to the Self Storage Income Podcast. We have another incredible episode lined up for you today. But before we get into that, huge shout out to all of our amazing sponsors Janice International, Store Local, Live Oak Bank, and Tenant Inc. Be sure to check out the links in the show notes. You guys probably hear us talking about these guys on the podcast all the time. Janice International, tons of amazing people, tons of amazing products, services, their Noki service, their R3 program, all these different aspects to help you build an amazing storage facility or upgrade your storage facility. Uh, just a fantastic group. Store local. It's honestly one of the biggest threats to self-storage is, is market consolidation and everything that goes along with that. So enter Store Local, the largest storage co-op in the world. Just amazing people again, tons of tons of awesome people there and uh, amazing solutions to bring everybody's resources together and uh, utilize those in an effective way to be able to compete and also uh, thrive in a world of competition with some of these larger REITs and the big players in the self-storage industry. Check out Store Local, amazing, amazing opportunities there. Live Oak Bank, I don't know how many of you guys came to our live event in Coeur d'Alene just this past year, but uh, we had some amazing conversations with Live Oak Bank there, and they were probably one of the most popular uh, <laughs> topics there in our, our breakout sessions. And And people want to know. They, they want to know the financing. You guys want to know what the solutions are, what the deals look like, all these different aspects to financing. Live Oak Bank is that answer specifically for self-storage. They specialize in storage, which is just incredible. There's no learning curve for them to understand the asset. They know it. They've been there before, and they can help you see things that you might not even be seeing yourself. So Live Oak Bank, amazing. Check the link in the show notes. And last but not least, Tenant Inc. Tenant Inc. is an incredible slew of products and services, essentially, for your storage facility to help automate, to help streamline, to help optimize your business and your storage facility. They've got uh, their Hummingbird platform, Nectar platform, uh, their Mariposa platform, just to scrape the surface here, their, their property software, the big thing about this is the API is open. So you guys can actually, you, you own your data, you can use other third parties and back that into your systems. It's not this closed system that, that only uses proprietary X, Y, and Z. You guys have total control over your data, total control over these various aspects of running your business, uh, running your storage facility. And uh, they just got some amazing products. Again, these are storage owner operators that have created and developed these solutions. And uh, it, it's just an amazing platform. So check it out. Without further ado, guys, here's the episode. Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to the Self-Storage Income Podcast. And today, I'm super excited about today's episode because we are going to break down exactly our strategy and tell you how to remember it that we've done with Self-Storage to get where we're at and that we do every single day. This is going to be a good one. 
It is going to be fantastic. Uh, looking forward to jumping into this. Uh, everybody loves a good acronym, you know? Yes, they and, do. <laughs> uh, we're going to dive into this thing, and it makes it easy to remember and just kind of adds some clarity and uh, simplifies really what the process is. And uh, it helps you also pass that information on to your team, your friends, family, partners, whoever you're working with, where you can say, hey, this is kind of the plan. This is what we're going to do. Yes. And uh, makes things a little bit more clear. So. Yep. And this is a... Um, you know, well, I, I think it, it, it's first Brandon Turner at Bigger Pockets. He created the um, Burr strategy, as he called it. He coined it the Burr strategy, right? So you have buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat. That's the Burr strategy. Well, in self storage, a, a lot of people in commercial real estate say, oh, yeah, we we do the Burr strategy, right? And how we look at it is that it, there's a few things that are different in commercial real estate and particularly self-storage around the Burr strategy. So we have what we call the bird strategy with a D, so like a little bird that flies. And it, we're going to briefly, I'll walk you through the acronym, why we keep it simple and everything, and then we're going to talk about some of the differences. So like the Burr strategy, we have you buy it, you increase revenues or cash flow, then the R is you reduce risk. And then the D is you do it again. So let's talk about why the bird strategy is uh, different, why we prefer it, and why we, we do it this way. First of all, in commercial real estate, you can have a lot more strategies than just one simple one, particularly in self-storage. So when we we go over, obviously, this is a value-add strategy is what the bird is. Um, so we're buying those assets. You're picking them up. We're being very clear. Then you move into the increasing revenue or increasing cash flow, which can happen in a lot of different ways. Uh, but this principally is the reason why we buy what we buy. So we're buying assets, right? We're catering assets off of our increasing revenue strategy. Um, the next thing we do is... Um, we reduce risk. So we're buying, increasing revenue, and reducing risk. And this is the really big difference be between self-storage, commercial real estate, and um, the Burr single-family house strategy, right? And we made a YouTube video by this, by the way. Go check this out. It has the acronym. We walk through it a whole lot more. That's on the self-storage income um, YouTube channel. Yep. So you can go check yep. it, check it out. But links just right in the show yeah, notes, links yeah. in the show notes, check it out. But the reducing the risk is the separation. And we do this in two ways in commercial real estate. First of all, we refinance and pull our money out. So we reduce the risk by our investment risk, the money we put in. But the second is we're reducing risk by the way that we're constructing and doing the refinancing. We redo it into a non-recourse loan. So we're taking our investment risk out. So you guys remember we had a podcast three episodes ago, we talked about different types of risks, right? We have risk of ruin, you have investment risk, you have opportunity risk. One of the things that we're doing is we're taking out the investment risk and we're um, adding, uh, taking out the opportunity risk because now we have the money, we're putting it back uh, to work. We're also taking out the risk of ruin, meaning that we are collateral for the loan. We are liable for the loan. That's a non-recourse loan, which the loan is backed by the asset and not us personally. Now, there's the reason this is in the Burr strategy is because we do this after we can take out and yield everything that we've increased and made, right? So, it's only after we've improved it. We don't do it right out of the gate. We don't buy it because there will be leaving a lot of money on the table. And then the last part is you do it again, right? 
And the repeat process of this may involve the money that you took out. It may involve investors' money, but now you have a proven strategy that allows you to scale both volume and magnitude. I talk about this a lot. Volume is units or like let's properties, right? Oh, I went from one property to four properties, right? But then magnitude is I went from one property to four properties, but the third property and fourth property were twice the size of the first property. So you didn't actually grow by, you know, you didn't actually go from one to four, right? You went from one to 10 because you're increasing the size of the deals and everything that you're doing. And that's a big part of this upward trajectory and scale that we use. And it's once you can show this process of doing it to banks, investors, that's when everybody really starts piling in. So would you say, do you think if you could go back and do it again, uh, like starting from square one with the first facility, let's say you went through this process, when you got to that do it again section, would you have immediately both, you know, so pull the money out, use some of your money, but then would you have immediately brought in investors as well? Yeah. If, if I went to go back and do it again, I would have brought investors in. I would have, you know, I would have done it a lot more different because we, yeah, we, we did it slower than we should. There's a lot of mistakes we made and not bringing investors in. I mean, that that was a decision and i don't normally look back ever mm. and regret decisions anything else the only decisions that i look back and regret were decisions that were made through ignorance or fear mm -hmm. and that was one of those decisions um and i didn't look into it properly things like that so i i would have absolutely gone back done it again take on more investors um sped up how much i was doing limit risk and keep doing the bird burst strategy Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And I've heard you talk about that a little bit. And I think there's a lot of people out there that are just getting started that when they come to that next step, they're ready for that next facility. It's like, okay, well, what do I do? Like I can yes. pull my money out or I, I don't need to or whatever. And so I was kind of thinking like, I wonder if you would do like a combination where you have, you know, obviously you've got some of the GP, you're putting your own money in it. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, yep. you got some of the LP as well. And, uh, then you're also bringing in those investors and again just building that infrastructure and building that process out uh early on to where you can scale quicker that whole velocity of money situation and everything yes. else um so i was just kind of curious what your thoughts were on that yeah it you know when you look at it growing um because you need to keep up with times changes right you need velocity you need, when you can spot opportunities, you need to be able to take advantage of them because things change, right? Times change. And um, I, I think a lot of people vastly underestimate the importance of having a system that can be repeated. Mm -hmm. And they vastly underestimate, I, I think everybody thinks in stages of A and Z, right? So what's the first thing I do and what's the last thing or where I end up? So we have okay, well, I need to do X, right? And then I can envision where my life is at some point, right? AZ. The middle stuff is what everybody leaves out. And what that ends up leading to is nobody ever getting to Z. Nobody ever, and when you're talking about your time value, your repeating processes, systems, everything, this is all that middle ground. And that do it again, right, is it, it needs to be 
done quick so you can learn and build things out. So that's why even if you're not ready and even if you need to save up more, right, uh, to do it again, you may want to start looking at taking in outside capital mm-hmm. in certain forms of ways. One of the reasons that we didn't was I was afraid of risk. I was afraid of dealing with investors. Um, I thought that they would have control over my properties, lots of things that were just not true. Um, and uh, two, it was also this weird thing that I was like, I don't want to be selling people. I don't know why this was a weird thing for me, but I didn't want to be <laughs> especially for you, like especially a sales guy, right? <laughs> like, it, it was I a very strange thing. Yeah, I was like, I don't want to be out like pandering people for like money. You're like, that's how I viewed it. Yeah, and yeah. I was told by huh. somebody that like, you know, AJ, look at your record, look at what you've done, look at what you're completing. Yeah. You're not. It's not that you're you're out pandering for money or anything. It's that you're not allowing people to come in and have the same opportunities that you have in a career. Mm-hmm. Like you're out telling people, you know, you should be doing this. Look what we've done. Look what it's created for us. But then you're not giving people opportunities to do it with you. Mm-hmm. And that was a big mindset shift for me. I wasn't asking for money. I was giving the opportunity for other people to get in on something that they either can't or they're not ready to and participate. And that was a big shift in my mindset because, you know, prior to that, I have a lot of. I have a lot of opinions on how the government tracks money and keeps people out of investments like accredited investors. And I, and I thought, you know, the whole goal is to allow there to be more opportunity because when you look at where we're headed as a country, what's going on, the purely the difference between the haves and the have nots is an equity ownership position. So if you own assets, you've done really good. If you haven't, you haven't. It's really that simple. Right now, of course, there's people that own assets that go under. There's bad things that happen or they can fail, things like that. Right. But it's 100 percent known if you don't participate, you fail. You you cannot keep up with inflation. Mm-hmm. The amount your money has lost in the last 10 years is shocking and will continue to lose. So it's a net loss play that you're playing. And I'm like, we need people to participate in the economy in a real way, in an equitable way. And I think that should go down, right? And the systems that we have for people to set up or what we call retail investors, they are getting not only the bottom of the barrel, but it's so regulated and everything, they're never going to make a good return mm-hmm. ever. I mean, you're talking about people that are making 6 to 9% on the stock market. If you averaged it out over huge amounts of times, if you time that wrong, you're making negative, right? It, it, it is. It, it has to be timed right. It, it, your returns are very low. You don't get great tax advantages. Um, it's kind of set up against you as retail investors. Now, if you're an equity ownership and if you're directly investing, it's opposite. All the rules are stacked in your favor. And so when he you know, walked through, it's like you're providing people to participate in economic growth. Now, could your investments fail? Yeah, of course. That's how it works, right? Um, and people can make their own decisions to do that. The difference is you're giving an opportunity. Yeah. And that was the big mind shift shift for me is we're allowing and giving opportunity to participate in what we've done and are creating. And that's a very fundamental goal of mine. Yeah. Right. I mean, we do education so people can participate so people can do it themselves. They can learn and they can change their lives and do better. Well, it's the same thing with offering investments. So Mm -hmm. if you're sitting there saying, well, I'm worried about it. I'm not. Remember when you have an investment, you're off, you're saying, Hey, look at this. Do you want to get in on it? right? This is something that you have 
that's an opportunity that other people don't. And a lot of people are going to want to get in it. If they don't, that's fine. Who cares? Mm-hmm. They don't want to for their lives for whatever reason. But people aren't going to view it as in like a lot of people have a lot of fear surrounding around that. And I, I think it's not needed. And I think that, first of all, people really appreciate it when they get offered to participate in economic participation opportunities. That's a big deal, obviously. And so for you as creating that, um, that's something you should be proud of, not, and you shouldn't shy away from it. Yeah. Um, Now, I say all that, you need to make sure you have very stringent rules, things like that, because also partners and investors can destroy your business. So I also need to have a hedge of caution. That's right if you do it correctly, right? You have limited partners that can't have say in managing the company, right? There's things you need to do to protect yourself. Most businesses and deals and things that I've seen that have failed, it's failed due to partnership issues, not due to investments, not due to anything else except partnerships. So you need to make sure who's on first, who's driving the ship. The other people that are participating, they're participating in equity splits. They're not participating in decision-making, nothing like that. Mm -hmm. They are silent partners. And that's how I go about it. Yeah, no, I think that's super important. And it's amazing too, just those simple mindset shifts that you can have when you're looking at certain things. And and I know people have this with money in general, where they're like, oh, well, I don't want to be greedy and make all this money and do this and that. And it's like, like, hang on. Like if you go through this process of asking yourself, what would you do if money was no object? What would you do? Who would you help? What yeah. would what infrastructure would you provide to your community and to your uh, to your country or to the world or whatever? And a lot of people are, would step up and do a lot of amazing things. A lot, and uh, it comes and it becomes more of a oh, it's not about me. It's like money's just that resource that I can gain and I can do all these amazing, awesome things for the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it, the same situation here, where it's like you just have to shift that line of thinking from, oh, well, I'm going and asking them for something because, you know, I'm not just using my own money or I just don't have enough of my own money. It's just you you shift that to I'm providing an, an amazing opportunity for somebody to come in, be a part of that. The other aspect, too, that I love that and, and we can kind of walk through each one of these if yeah. you want. But what you talked about, too, was um, I love number three. Uh, reducing risk. Yeah, the where, big separator. I know we, we've talked about risk a few times on the podcast. And the fact is, because you you mentioned like that your your investment could fail. That's a possibility. Yes, 100%. And you could lose money for sure. And the fact is, is like you're never going to ever totally eliminate that possibility. Never. It can uh, never go away. And, 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 and this is a fallacy too that we need mm-hmm. to really address. And this is why... I can't. Oh, what was that podcast? It was like three podcasts ago. But we talk about changing your overall mindset around risk. Um, when we're when we're talking about risk, uh, I I learned a long time ago, and I think a lot of people learn that there is no eliminating. People say you can't eliminate risk in investing, and it's true. But I think that's a bad way to phrase it. The way you should phrase it is you can't eliminate risk. Period. Yeah, of anything. Of anything. <laughs> now, you, you can, can only control absolutely so much. limit your upside. Yeah. That you can do, but you cannot limit your downside to zero. Mm-hmm. That does not work. If you have a job, right? If you have um, a home responsibility, I mean, you just can't reduce. That's not how life works. Anytime you can become paralyzed out of the blue. And lose everything. Like, that's just not how life works. And when you look at it about risk is what I can control and what I can't control, that really shifts your mind around, mm-hmm. right? So if what am I doing that is putting things in my control, 
right? So am I gaining equity? Am I gaining income? Things that are more in my control. I have control over building it. I have control over getting it, receiving it, right? Then do I have a position where it's like my risk is concentrated and I have no control over it? Then I ask, what's more risky, right? So we really need to change the context in which we evaluate risk um, because that's really important. You know, one way they're like, oh, you don't have risk like you do investing. And people think that that's true. They think that there, there's an outside perception of investing and entrepreneurship associated with risk. Then there is doing nothing. And the risk of doing nothing is guaranteed. That's why I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. You're guaranteed to never have the upside, right? It, like we don't gamble here. It's not like you just win the lottery and people, you have to make it, you have to create it. So your risk of of gaining what you want in life uh, is one way more in your control. The other one, it's guaranteed that you'll never do it. And so when we talk about risk and managing risk with products, we talk about buying the right product that I can execute a strategy that is known. And we measure that amongst known rates, right? So we measure that based upon when we're looking at an investment, what is that spread? What is the money on the table? Everything is measurable and known. We can compare it. We can see the market. We can understand it. We don't buy and hope that things go up. So when you're dealing with the first one, what should we buy? We're talking about risk, how to manage it. The second one, we're outlined and we have a process to increase revenue and cash flows. Then the third one is the cherry on top where we take out and we reduce our risk from the investment. So our investment source, because we're getting that back, we're also getting that back tax-free. And then we're getting off the risk of ruin, right? So now we own an equity position that has been increased. We have no risk of investment. We have no risk because the investment's gone. We have no risk of ruin, right? Now there's still the risk that the asset asset could fail. We still have others like that, right? But that's controlled and managed. And so by doing the bird process, you're seeing how then when it comes to do it again, by the time I'm doing it again, I now have lowered my risk. It's manageable, right? And I can take on more risk and starting out. So every time we shift and eliminate risk on the back end of our investments, on the front end, we're taking on more, we're taking on risk again. So when we go buy a building for, um, or buy a storage facility that we think is a great buy, right? Our investors come in on that. They get to participate in equity, everything. They don't participate in the risk. I'm signing on the dotted line and personally guaranteeing that. And lots of times we're putting up all the money front anyways. And so our risk of ruin and the risk of investment is outsized, right? At the first. Now, when the investors come in, they're limited. They never share in any of those risks, which is a great opportunity. And that's the opportunity you should be giving to others as well. Then after we improve it and everything, then we lower our risk again, and we try to get back down to zero, and we try to keep repeating it and moving over. So that's why I talk about how like, even though that our our overall portfolio has grown dramatically, right? Our risk is no bigger than when we started out. We couldn't start refining things and doing non-recourse loans for a long time. First of all, I didn't know what it was. I didn't understand it, right? Um, and it, once that changed, all of a sudden, we were able to do it again, that part, and just go much, much faster and feel comfortable about it. And it wasn't like, oh man, we're just taking on this huge amount of risk. I still don't see my risk though as out sized or out proportioned as any other normal person that has any debt. So if you have a job and you own a home, right? 
I really, I, I fundamentally don't see how your risk is less than my risk with tens of millions of dollars of debt. I, I it's it doesn't make sense to me mm-hmm. because first of all, the income's diversified, the risk is diversified, but at the same time, it's all in ratio of what you're buying, right? My debt is being paid for by assets that people hold it. It's moved into non-recourse and it's individually based on that asset. Um, I get paid after what's going on, right? So my personal life, even if some of the assets fell, wouldn't change. That's not how it works with your income and your house. It's solely predicated on that. And if you end up getting paralyzed and you can't go to work, and you can't pay the mortgage, right? You have to sell the home. And if you're in a market when you can't sell your home, you're going bankrupt and you're losing it, right? Mm -hmm. And this is real. We've all seen it. I don't know how many people are listening to this whose parents lost their home because all of a sudden when they had to pay and they couldn't because they lost a job, it's in the markets, they can't afford it. So, I mean, I know this is a long rant on risk, but it's a really important part to understand the bird strategy. Buy increased cash flows, measurables, right? Reduce that risk that we incurred through that initial process. Then we do it again and start the whole process over. Mm-hmm. And, and you have videos on YouTube that actually go through, I mean, you've got the three biggest r- biggest risks of real estate, how to reduce risk, and then on that uh, increasing cash flow and revenue portion of the bird strategy, you have how to double a facility's value. Um, I mean, you've got tons of videos on YouTube. I'm just looking at them right now. Yeah. And um, I also put this on um, the graphic and everything on Instagram so that people can see the walkthrough, which we did yeah. with the same thing. So what we're trying to do, everybody here that's listening to the podcast, we're correlating the content on the podcast to YouTube and my Instagram, because what we're trying to do is do an audio plus a visual walkthrough and be more dynamic about these processes. So when we talked about how to put a deal or real estate deal together and whatever that was, and I told you guys, hey, I'm going to make a graphic on this that talks about parties involved, assets, how to decide who gets what, right? That's up on my Instagram. You can go look at it, download it, explanation. And then we make YouTubes of the same thing, uh, videos of the same thing. So when we talk about these um, strategies, frameworks that we use, processes, how we're doing deals and everything, we're trying to make it multidimensional so you guys can really understand it and soak it in. Exactly, exactly. And I think it's an awesome, awesome setup, awesome process, and a perfect play on words from good old Brandon Turner's Burr strategy. That's right. It. The Burr the bird <laughs> strategy is where it's at, everybody. Not uh, not the Burr strategy. It's all about the bird. <laughs> uh, and like AJ's talking about, so much of this is built on systems and processes that are repeatable, scalable, all of that. So, I mean, dive into each one of these aspects, step one through four. What processes, what procedures, what infrastructure do you need to buy facilities? What do you need to increase cash flow and revenue? What do you need to reduce risk? What do you need to be able to do it again? What resources, what people, what infrastructure, everything do you need to really truly be able to execute on that? Yeah. So when we look at a lot of these things, there's a few things that you need to um, understand. So when you're talking about buying, you need capital, right? Now, capital comes in two forms. It comes in the first form of the down payment, and it also comes in the form of the debt. Down payments are usually where we have investors come in at, or it's yourself. Um, And then banks, we um, talk about, we talk about Live Oak a lot on this podcast because they're the sponsor of the podcast and they do a lot of SMBO loans. So small business loans that people can get with a low down payment, which helps some people not have investors. Um, So there's banking options, down payments when you go in to buy that you need. But the biggest thing about buying, about buying and understanding to get everybody involved is you need a strategy, 
right? And you need a plan of action. Now, a strategy and a plan of action can come on a particular asset or it can come on an overall strategy. This is what we're trying to do. So what I mean by that is our the way that we do it, when we go to buy increased value, our first thing we do is we understand our strategy. We identify assets that meet that criteria. Then we go out and we get them under contract. During our due diligence period, then we're trying to break it down into how much capital we need to raise, improvements, things like that, and get the banking all on board with that. Okay, So it comes down to when you're going to buy, you just don't go out and blindly buy. That's what people don't want to see. They want to see that you had forethought before you got this on contract that you you understand what you're going to do. Now, the plan is one thing, the next side of it. So you need capital, you need a plan, and then you need the execution part. And this is the part where you can look to third parties. And so when I say execution, I, I'm going to talk about a couple strategies. You need your property execution, and the property execution comes through property management. You can do that or you can have a third party do that, right? You need an online execution strategy. So we're talking about your overall marketing, things like that. How are you going to bring people in the door? Um, you need a revenue strategy. So revenue management. And by the way, some of these things tie into the third party, but you need to understand what they are and you need to be able to hold your party accountable because these are the things that go into the increasing cash flow, right? So um, you need that. You, so you capital, you need to create a plan, a business plan, which any investor and any um, bank's going to want to see. Execution, they're going to want to see who you have around you. Third parties, partnerships, you may need KPs. That is somebody that can come sign on a bank loan, a key person. And with all these partners and people that you get, you can give equity away or you can pay them to do it. This all comes down into how to structure a deal, which was a few podcasts ago and a YouTube video. Once again, go check those out. Um, and then on the execution side, you need um, asset management, which is going to be like you. And then you need reporting, finance reporting, things like that done that are meant to run the business. So when we take these things, then we have our plan. We move an increasing cash flow, whether it's me, the third party, I'm working on revenue management. We're dropping delinquencies. We're getting units cleaned out. We're getting them onto the marketplace. Um, increasing cash flow, where it comes to a two-sided valuation uh, value proposition, physical asset, right? Or it comes to operations. So we're looking at how to increase the value proposition through internal operations. That's all the stuff we talked about before, um, getting delinquents down, online reporting, things like that. Or do I need to actually give this thing a facelift? Does it need capital expenditures so that the proposition value to the customer coming in has changed, which we always do. The extent of it may change, but we're always mm -hmm. updating offices, things like that. Yeah. Right? Well, and touching on that too, real quick, that bad debt portion of what you just mentioned is is a massive opportunity to immediately increase revenue and cash flow without having to raise rents or doing any of this, any of that stuff. I mean, that's super low hanging fruit that you can execute on yeah. super fast. Massive opportunity. We see we'll see delinquencies at like 13, 14%. I mean, you're talking about increasing, you could increase your gross revenue by 10%. That, that's ginormous. Like immediately. Like, like immediately. <laughs> outside of rent increases. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> it's so crazy. So, and then from there, we move in reducing risk. Now, reducing risk, you need a refinance. This is mainly a finance or a banking strategy. The things that you need to uh, partner up with that is banks 
you have two main options. The two main options are insurance companies and banks when you're trying to get into non-recourse loans, okay? Now, if you don't qualify for a non-recourse loan for whatever reason, you can still limit risk by changing the overall loan structure. You can pull your money out. And once again, when we say pull our money out and refinance, I'm not talking about changing the debt percentage. A lot of people say, yeah, but you're just loading it up on debt. No, I'm not. So when we move into these things, we have 30% down. When we refinance them, we still have 30% down. We're not going into like a 90%. So there's no loading it up on debt. So I'm not, you're not changing that at all, right? So taking your money out, maybe even have a little lower debt. There's all sorts of ways you can do that. But the two primary ways for non-recourse loans are insurance companies and banks, which banks act as the processor. Like the broker? Yeah. So, well, the banks are packaging it together. Mm -hmm. So they're creating an investment offering for bonds, things like that. So when you go into non-recourse, the bank doesn't actually hold the debt, Mm -hmm. right? That's sold off. That's packaged. So you have a bank that you go to and there's banks that do CMBS loans that are actually packaging debt. So you pay them, they put it together, sell it on the open market, right? Um, so you need a partner that does that, which you can find who does it. Normally speaking, you should use a broker. The BCS group we've used for non-recourse loans, um, they're great, but uh, brokers would be an important one on this this part. Um, then do it again. So once you have your money out, once you've refinanced, what you're going to do is you're going to take everything that you've now done. You're going to verify what worked, your overall strategy. You're going to create a playbook that you're going to show numbers and you're going to show everything along that line associated. So when you go do it, you can evaluate potential buys based upon your playbook and you can show other people now based upon your playbook how that asset will do. And then that speeds up, makes you more confident. You already have things in place and you go and you do it again. Exactly. Dude, I love it. Perfect rundown. Short, swim, simple. The bird strategy is what it's all about. I love it. Outside of that, man, we got a ton of awesome, amazing things going on. Again, AJ's just been crushing it on the YouTube game. You guys make sure to get on there, subscribe, like, comment, leave your questions. AJ's been super engaged on YouTube recently. Uh, If you guys want to get in contact with him, uh, reach out on uh, Instagram, all that other good jazz going on, Uh, Instagram, social media. And um, you doing Twitter at all? So um, I am on Twitter. I'm getting more onto Twitter right now. So yeah, you can go on. I do more long form stuff like blog posts, everything. I have some really long ones that actually did really, really good hit. So that is a new one. You can find me on Twitter. Yeah, we were talking about LinkedIn today too. So I mean, just keep up with us on uh, the podcast, obviously here. And and we really, really appreciate everybody's reviews. Yeah, it makes a huge difference, everybody. it's massive. And we just want to give you a huge shout out to you guys. And thank you for all the awesome things that you guys have done for us. This podcast has been hugely successful and uh, the biggest self-storage podcast in the world. And uh, it's it's pretty awesome because it's all all because of you guys out there listening. So thank you for the support. And uh, with that, you have anything else, AJ? No, that's it. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk soon.